Welcome to New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through your generosity. Please consider making a donation through our Ways to Give link on zencare.org. We'll just wait a couple of minutes for people to arrive. So good morning on this rainy, actually beautiful rainy June day. We've had such unpredictable, unexpected weather over the last couple of weeks with 80 degrees and waking up to beautiful days and then here we are, a nice gray, rainy Irish morning (laughs) of that soft Misty rain, it's beautiful. And I just, <clears throat> excuse me, just uh, last week planted a, a Jizo garden out on the balcony. Um, and I'm very thankful for the rain because it needs to be watered every day till the moss takes, till the moss takes root. And it just seems very appropriate for today to have our Jizo garden being watered uh, in. In Japan, when mothers visit the Jizo Gardens, which I'll talk about in a moment, one of the things they do is wash the statues. You know, once a year, they go to the the Jizo Gardens, they'll dress the statues, offer sweets or candies, and and wash the statues. So I think it's rather beautiful today that it's raining out there. So those of you who are regulars here will notice that the altar this morning is set up in a very, in a much more ornate way, much more ornate than usual. We have these, our usual orchids at the back there, and there's, and then these incredible, ridiculous looking peonies. <laughs> I mean, they're just amazing. Actually, yesterday we had a, a day-long workshop, and uh, one of the participants was rather surprised that we'd have plastic flowers on the altar. And I was rather shocked that she thought I would have plastic (laughs) flowers on the altar because they are 100% real. And they're just so incredible. I've never never seen peonies like this. And we've had many, many peonies on the altars in the past, but these these need to go in some kind of book of records, I think. And we have in the middle here, behind me, our usual uh, bodhisattva, which means uh, awakening being of Kuan Yin, or Avalokiteshvara, or Kanon in Japanese. And this is the bodhisattva of compassion. This is the one that hears the screams and the cries of all the suffering in the world. And oftentimes you'll see her uh, depicted as a thousand-armed woman or man. They're kind of gender-neutral, gender-fluid, whatever the term is these days, uh, gender non-conforming. Usually you'll see her with all these arms, and in each hand there's a little eye, and she's uh, holding a tool. 
So in ancient times, it would be uh, a rake, or a shovel, or a rope, a lasso, um, a knife, chopsticks. Today, she would probably be holding cell phone, laptop, you know, iPhone, I don't know, Ambien, Ritalin, I don't know. Uh, but whatever is needed in the moment to help those who are suffering. So, Kuan Yin, Avalokiteshvara, the goddess, the, sorry, the Bodhisattva of compassion. And oftentimes you'll see in Japanese temples, her partner is Jizo. And here we have my favorite statue of Jizo. Um, and here we have two smaller ones, which is often usually how you see him with him or her, with a child in his arm, and it's usually two children at his feet. And um, we, this morning, because we're going to have this special ceremony of offering to Jizo, the protector of women and children, unborn babies. Uh, so this is why this altar is set up in such a kind of elaborate fashion. Um, more Japanese than Zen, I would say. If there is such a thing, it's more Japanese than Zen. Usually it's very kind of clean, sparse. So this is actually the most common form of Jizo in Japan today, the one with children. Um, Jizo is not a new... So Jizo is a, another bodhisattva or awakened being, awakening being. And there are, in the Mahayana school, four main bodhisattvas that we talk about or we hear about in scriptures. Jizo is... Uh, you, we hear of Jizo in the, um, the Earth Store Sutra. Jizo. So, and then on the back here we have on your, on this back wall, Manjushri, who is the Bodhisattva that cuts away delusions. And his partner is usually Samantabhadra. On this altar, Samantabhadra rides on an elephant and Manjushri rides on a lion. And you often see these two together in temples, uh, as the, the same as Kanan uh, and Jizo paired up. So Mitsukuyo is the is the Mitsukokuyo is the ceremony that we will be doing after talk today. Kuyo is composed of two Chinese characters meaning to offer and to nourish. In actual use, Kuyo refers to the memorial service of Mitsuko. Mitsuko Kuyo to, is the service that we'll be doing today. The Chinese character for Mitsu, Mitsuko are literally translated as Water baby. Mitsuko is water baby. So if you think about this transliteration, it's the baby in the womb. 
in the water, the baby that floats in the water. In Japan, young children are regarded as otherworldly and not fully anchored in human life until they reach a certain age. And fetuses are referred to as kaminoko, or children of the gods, sometimes even referred to as Buddha. And you'll forgive my terrible Japanese translations. Um, the Mitsuko Juzo is not ancient. Uh, Jizo first came into uh, Japan via via Korea and then China is somewhere in around the the fifth century. And G, there are many forms of jizo. There's the jizo that uh, helps farmers. There's the jizo that pulls out nails. There's the jizo that builds walls. There, are in if you go to Japan, you'll see almost at every crossroads crossroads in in the country a jizo statue or a little shrine set into a wall in many neighborhoods. You'll see Jizo all over the neighborhood. Jizo is considered the patron saint, if you like, of mothers, children, fetuses, unborn babies, stillborn babies, babies lost in early childhood, and also of travelers, which is why you'll see him in different uh, forms in in many different places throughout Japan. The Mitsuko Jizo, so the Jizo we're talking about today, really came into being in the 60s in Japan. Um, so many women after World War II were aborting their children. Um, some say that because of the consequences of the bombings at Hiroshima and um, it went out of my head. Nagasaki, <laughs> sorry. Um, that the consequences of the radiation were a lot of babies were, were being born with abnormalities. Um, so many women who were exposed were aborting fetuses needed, there were many, many, thousands and thousands of women aborting fetuses, and they needed some kind of closure. They needed some kind of memorial to, to honor the fetus. Um, in Japan, abortion was once considered a form of birth control. Uh, in ancient times when, you know, the, you'd have a family that couldn't afford to have more than two or three children, depending on the crops, the rice fields, uh, when people are living in poverty, abortions were, f or even f babies were brought, brought to full term, they would be um, dispatched to the other world by the midwife infanticide was pretty common. And then it was outlawed, uh, abortion was outlawed, and then it came back into fashion or into being. So anyway, in the, that was an aside, in the 60s, 
more and more women in society were finding the need to abort their children, abort the fetuses. And so, <coughs> as a way to memorialize them, they began to look at Jizo, who was, as I said, the, uh, the bodhisattva protecting children and travelers. He was the bodhisattva that would go down into the, into the hell realms and because fetuses were not yet uh, considered fully human, they were in this kind of limbo space. If a, if a woman miscarried a child or if it was stillborn, they hadn't yet achieved enough merit, if you like. Now, this is all mythology. Let's not get too caught up in rights, wrongs, ideas of you know, uh, shame or blame. It was thought that because they hadn't reached full maturity, they were not yet Buddhas. And so they wouldn't cross over to the other shore. And so they were relegated to staying down in the hell realms, in the rivers, and their job was to build stone towers on the banks of the rivers. All these little children building stone towers on the banks of the river. That was their penance. So oftentimes you'll see in, in Jizo Gardens, in front of the statues, the mothers will place a pebble. And eventually these pebbles will create a tower around the little statue of the Jizo, baby Jizo. Jizo, the Bodhisattva, used to go down into the Hell Realms and hide the children in his robes and bring them back out whilst chanting sutras and cross them over to the other shore. So basically saving them from the demons down there. That's a little history about Jizo. And there's, there's, so, there's so many fascinating stories. I mean, you can read the many, many different mythological stories of Jizo and where he came from originally. There's the Jizo that helped, there's the samurai Jizo. We actually have a, a, a little cat Jizo, which we found when one of our cats was dying to put on the altar. So the many, many different forms of Jizo. So as again, as I said again, this is, today we're talking about the Suko Jizo. Forty years ago, and I doesn't seem possible, but I was 23, and um, I had uh, in my 20s I'd been dating uh, a girl, and um, we split up, and I was uh, traveling and came back to England, and then we met one night on a bus back home in England, which, you know, we hadn't seen each other for three years. And we decided to go out for a drink, catch up on what we were doing. We ended up sleeping together again for old time's sake. <laughs> and uh, she became pregnant. And I was 
from what we'd say the wrong side of the tracks for her family. She was from a, a well-respected, God-fearing family, and I was from not from that. And her parents were in, incensed. Of course, you know that their, their daughter, unmarried daughter, was pregnant, but particularly because she was pregnant through me. And um, after much deliberation and fighting and arguing, it was decided that we would, well, basically it was their decision to abort the child. And I remember very clearly, we were talking about this last week to someone, you know, 40 years ago, I remember very clearly the night driving to, driving, I'll call her Carol, driving Carol to the clinic. And back then it wasn't, you know, everything was still done under the, the radar. It was a very, very, it was a very beautiful facility. But I remember as we were driving to the clinic saying, we don't have to do this. We could just continue driving and go to the coast where we had lived for a while. And she said, no, we have to do this. So I dropped her off at the clinic. And I think I stayed up all night drinking. And then I went the next morning to pick her up. And um, for me, my perception of Carol was that a completely different woman wasn't the same person that I dropped off the night before. And I vacillate between it was the right decision and it was the wrong decision. My life took a path that took me down to a road of addictions and abuse, and I would never have been able to support this child anyway. So on some level, I've, I fall into this uh, category of justifiable uh, action. And on the, other, on the other hand, I think, well, if we had had the child, would I not have gone down that path? Would I have been responsible enough to be there? Or maybe to get married, but to certainly bring the child into the world. My mother was really, really angry that we had done this. Um, and those were the circumstances. And, you know, I can look back, as I said, 40 years later and still feel the same emotions that I felt that evening. And over the years I've had many, many, many opportunities to, uh, I think, resolve that karma. So it's incre incredible to think, for me anyway, that after all my years of shenanigans, that I would end up creating a Jizo garden. I mean, think about the karma in that. Creating a Jizo garden, um, taking care of children in pediatric hospitals. Uh, this, it's such an incredible journey of synchronicity, of karmic action. So. Uh, so this ceremony today is 
is particularly poignant for me. There's a story, uh, a, a very popular story in Buddhist mythology of the a woman, young woman named Kisugatami. And Kisugatami was was uh, a young woman who married into a very wealthy family and had a child, living very well, uh, had all the comfort care that she would need as a young mother. And the child died, we're not sure when, maybe two or three years old, maybe two years old or younger. And Kisugatami was bereft. She was beyond console, cons consolability, consoling. Beyond consoling. Um, and for days was carrying her dead baby in her arms, wandering around the village. This is in India centuries ago. And she's wandering around the villages with her dead baby in her arms. She's unable to come to terms with the fact that her baby's no longer alive. And she's asking everyone that she meets to help her. Can you please help me? Can you please help me? My baby died. And everyone's saying, no, we can't help you. We don't know what to do. Until she came upon one man who said, there is a man in the next village, a teacher in the next village, who will be able to help you. And she went to the next village and she met Shakyamuni, the Buddha, the historical Buddha, again, if such a person ever existed. This, but a very special man teaching in the village, surrounded by other people. And she went up to him and she said, I've been told you can help me. My name is Kisukotami and my baby died. I need help. I can't accept this. And the Buddha said, I can't help you. I can't help you and your child. This is what you need to do. You need to go to every house in the village and collect a mustard seed. Now, mustard seeds in India at that time were like as common as salt here, or a Starbucks, common as Starbucks, if you like. Get a mustard seed from each household and bring it back to me. She said, oh, okay, well, I could do that. That's not a problem. He said, but there's one caveat. Each household that you go to and you ask for the mustard seed, if they've experienced a death, you cannot take the mustard seed from that household. She's like, okay. So the first house she goes to, knocks on the door, well, my name is Kisuko Tami, this is my baby, the Buddha's going to help me, um, could you give me a mustard seed? And they said, oh, absolutely. She said, but I cannot accept a mustard seed from you if anyone in your home has died. And the first person said, well, my wife died 10 years ago. I'm sorry. So the next house, need a mustard seed, cannot accept it unless, no, my grandparents are dying, my brother died, my child died, house to house to house. Every single house that she went to had experienced a death of some sort. Finally, she realized that no one escapes death, whether in the first days of life, whether they live to be a hundred, or whether in the womb, babies are born, stillborn, 
Babies are born for a few moments or years of life. And she went back to the Buddha with her baby and said, I now understand. I am not alone. And they had a beautiful ceremony for her baby and buried it in the forest. And the story goes that Kisagutami then became one of the Buddha's nuns and followed him till the day she died. So it's a beautiful, beautiful, I think, beautiful story that just illustrates and softens and brings to, to light the fact that suffering is inevitable in many, many forms and that women who lose their babies, however it is, through it, whichever means, whichever karmic conditions create the loss of the baby and not alone. And are with Kisa Gotami in the suffering. It says that this woman was wailing and wailing for days, carrying her dead baby. Suffering beyond suffering until she came to this place of understanding this is it. Being present to this life in all its frailties. So these moments or these opportunities of remembrance that we, in all societies, whether it's, you know, this ceremony, funerals, wakes, remembering soldiers who died in the wars, these moments of that we take to remember. We should also realize our present moments. We're riding the wave, if you like, if you like of the historical event, the past event, and the present moment. Can we hold both of them in the same in the same way, the sorrow that was then, the sorrow that is present now, and also the realization that this too is impermanent. This moment of sorrow, this moment of grief, this moment of suffering will change. It may not Suffering is unique to each of us. When people are grieving, when people are in bereavement, it can take six months, a year, six years, but it changes. And it's not as if we will at some point in our life ever be without the memory or the feeling of the loss, but because we're human, it has to change in order for us to, to survive, to live. This is why these ceremonies, in many ways, are so important. On the altar there, we have our dead ancestors, dead Sangha members, as a way of remembering and honoring their lives. And yet, realizing that they are no longer here, 
to the physical plane, but they are not lost to us. This is the importance of ritual. Ritual brings, for many, closure or an opening to closure. It's not about forgetting. It's not about denying. It's about, as I said, remembrance and honoring and being with the sorrow and being with the pain and also being with life in this moment. just finished by saying that Jizo in, was also known as Kshitigarbha, which translates to earth womb or earth store bodhisattva. So it's a beautiful to think of this, this bodhisattva as the earth womb, earth mother, earth store this benevolent figure holding us in her womb. And as with all wombs, at some point they're emptied in many, many different ways. Sometimes joyous, and sometimes incredibly sad. And this is the cycle of our life. Sadness, suffering, celebration. So we will come to close. <laughs> 